All right. Welcome back, Salt Company. It's good to see you guys. Um, so to start right off the bat, so if any of you guys have been talking to me and seeing I'm a little bit sniffly, for the record, I do not have COVID. I got tested yesterday. Yeah, praise God for that. I am just allergic to dogs, two of which we have in our house. So, yeah, I'm not going to get rid of them. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to stop petting dogs. It's, yeah, it's just not going to change. Um, but, so we have two dogs at home. And then this weekend, got a cool chance to see two more. I had the chance to go back to Wisconsin, where I'm from, um, visit my family, see my mom, my dad, my sister, her husband, and their two dogs, and had a great time. Um, thinking about this text tonight that we're going to be going through, um, really just made me think about states, right? So originally, I was in Wisconsin. I was a Wisconsinite, whatever you want to call them, cheesehead. And I wanted to go to Iowa for college, and it was super expensive. And I was like, I'm not about to afford that. So I did the residency program, came to Iowa, became a full-fledged Iowan, whatever you guys want to call yourselves. I honestly don't know if there's a better name, but became an Iowan. So I switched states. There were steps that I had to do. It was very simple. Um, I don't remember them, honestly. That was like four years ago. But it happened, right? And in the passage that we're reading tonight, I want us to actually be aware of an even more important change of state that is presented to people tonight. So in this text tonight, we're going through Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 20. And in this passage, we are seeing the reality of hell and that there is a wake-up call for those who profess to follow Christ. But also, there is great encouragement here. There is encouragement that there is in fact heaven, that there is in fact life that is promised to those that are in Christ. Um, if you guys would just pray with me really quick before we get started, I would love to do so. Uh, Father God, thank you so much for just this night that we would be able to gather here in health and in good spirits, that we would be able to be just present in this church. Um, yeah, we just wish to bring you glory, God, and to know you better. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and yeah, just his crucifixion on the cross. It's in his name that I pray tonight. Amen. All right, so we're going through Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 20 here. So, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit." But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Right? So to start off the bat, we see that there is a narrow gate and that there is a wide gate. And to put it very simply, Jesus himself is that narrow gate. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the door. Some translations say, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is presenting himself as that narrow gate, the gate that if we step into promises hardship, promises persecution, promises a narrow road, but also promises life. He alone can offer that. Now, if Jesus is this narrow gate, then what is the wide gate, right? What is this wide gate that is the opposite of what Jesus is offering? 
this destruction, this easy way that is not to the kingdom of heaven, that is not to the kingdom of Christ. Conversely, it is hell. We see here in verse 13, it uses the word destruction. For the way is easy that leads to destruction, right? We should not take that as a ceasing of existence, but rather as promised throughout the rest of Scripture, actually eternal torment and suffering, right? This is not, (laughs) this is like a very clear wake-up call to us right in the beginning here. Right off the bat, Jesus is introducing that hell is real. So to discuss further would be another sermon, another discussion, but we must see right away that hell itself is not just a reality, but is a result of what we are inherently drawn towards, right? We are initially drawn towards that easy, that wide gate that we see before us. So what is easy, what is fake, what is of our own works, what is not of Jesus Christ alone is this wide gate. So as we go through verse 13 and 14, we see, when should we make this decision, right? It says that it leads to destruction. It says that it leads to life. Do we try to make this decision now? Or do we wait till our deathbed? Do we wait until death comes to actually acknowledge that there are two destinations of eternity, right? One good and one not good as an understatement, right? So I don't know how many of you guys may be old enough or not, but if you are old enough to gamble here, it is the perfect illustration for that, right? Sports betting, gambling, right? Like many of us, including myself, are hesitant for good reason to gamble any sort of money because honestly we just lose usually. Going to the casino, I've never won any money at all. (laughs) Going to the casino, I've never won any money, right? I've never put my paycheck on the line for one week. I've never put the paycheck on the line for a month, much less a year. How much does that pale in comparison to our very souls, right? That is the game that we play, the chance that we are taking when we do not acknowledge that there are in fact two paths and that if we are not in Jesus Christ, we are inherently on the other So, for those listening, this is already what we see in these first two instances here. We see that there's a narrow road, one of persecution, one of hardships, one that is following Jesus Christ, and one that is not. So what can be done, right? So, stepping into my life a little bit here, coming into college, I was thrilled for Iowa. I was thinking that it was like the third-ranked party school at the time. Um, In my mind, it was the place to be if you wanted to come and smoke, do drugs, drink, and have sex. It was like the campus that had it all, Iowa City. But that was just following what the masses told was cool, right? That was when you would come here and you would dive into a culture and you would be welcomed by the masses, but you would see the emptiness, the brokenness. If you've partaken in that, you know that, you feel that. Your friends that are still involved in that, or if you still are involved in that, you know that there is brokenness there. You see that the result is bad fruit that is present. That is the wide gate right there. That is perfect for our city to see. Like That itself is a great example of the wide gate. It's clear that this is a destructive path. Sin on that path is who we view our Savior to be, and it leads to destruction. So I was actually walking on that road. I wasn't just walking. I was running through it. I was excited. I was thrilled. I thought I had everything that life had to offer on that, and it fell far, far short, right? So praise God He pulled me from that wide gate. He pulled me into his narrow gate through his grace. And we all have the opportunity for that when we are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what is the gospel, right? Right off the bat, it's good news. That's what it means. That Jesus is the eternally existent son of God who lived a perfect life and chose to suffer and die upon a cross for the sins of those who would come to believe in him. 
in doing so taking the wrath of God that we deserved and then rising again and declaring his kingship and kingdom in his resurrection. That people may follow him to take the narrow gate and path that he has made of himself so that they may become heirs in the kingdom of heaven. To choose that narrow road, we're promised that it's not going to be easy, that that life will be difficult, but also that we're not alone, right? That choice that we have made to follow Jesus Christ, it's also with other people. There are people and teachers especially that encourage us, that exhort us as we walk through this life following Christ. But this passage points out that we must be aware. We're not to judge people just rashly going about saying, oh, you're a false teacher, you're a false teacher. I don't believe that. I don't like that. But we are not to be naive either. We are to use wisdom when following teachers to see who we should pursue, who we should not, who we should look to as we follow Christ. For oftentimes the people that we follow, the people that lead us, oftentimes are the biggest players in how we in fact follow Christ as well. So in verses 15 through 20, we see that there are false prophets that are discussed and they are the diseased trees. They're the ones with the bad fruit. But they're also followers and teachers of Christ that are healthy trees. They provide good fruit, right? Jesus says right away in verse 15, beware of those false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So it begs the question, how do we tell the difference? If both types are vying for a focus, if these false prophets come to us in disguise, how do we actually know who they are, right? So right off the bat, we can say follow the good fruits, right? That's what we want to do is follow the good fruit. And Jesus provides that illustration for us. Um, if any of you guys here in the Midwest hopefully are familiar with buckthorn, it is a terrible plant. It's invasive. The berries are toxic. It's miserable to try to cut down because it just keeps growing back up. But they have these little blackberries on them. They're toxic, but they have little blackberries on them. So from a distance... These little blackberries look exactly like grapes, right? If I'm looking like for me to Vanka, who I'm just making eye contact with right now, right? I may think that those little blackberries are in fact grapes, right? If you put them on a table, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference from afar. But as I walk closer, you can begin to see. As you take a bite, you surely know. But is there a way to know before you even have to take a bite of the fruit that what that berry or what that teacher is teaching you is actually false or true? So, if you guys want to turn with me to Galatians 5, I'm going to go through verses 19 through 20. Um, give you a second here. Cool. So, in Galatians 5, 19 through 20, all right, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh, with its passions and desires. Right? So we see right away that those bad fruits are very evident. They're unrepentant by false teachers. But the struggle comes in. Most of these false teachers that we see are very smart, right? Like, we don't see that bad fruit 
until they have in fact fallen, right? We don't know about the sexual immorality, the idolatry, maybe the jealousy or fits of anger of religious until it is too late, right? So, how do we look at these false teachers, these people who claim to profess to know Christ? They have their charisma, they have their approach to the Bible that is acceptable to all ears, but those aren't on the list of the spirit of the fruits of God. They don't necessarily show that they have a sincere belief in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the significance of his resulting cross. We see that these prophets in sheep's clothing, these false teachers, must be judged wisely, right? We don't want to be, again, running around, naively running around, immorally just judging these people, but we want to be able to know who to follow and who to not, right? Because it's a very important question that we must figure out how do we tell these people apart. So, great questions to ask. Do they promise an easy route? Does that sound more like the wide gate? Does the Christianity they describe come off as that of a narrow path? of actually forsaking the world and all it could offer to follow Jesus. Does their teaching actually promise you both the world and Jesus? Not that you must choose between Jesus and the world because you can have both, right? Do they try to slide in with what might be 90% true and 10% false, just offering you what is beyond Jesus, right? Jesus tells us that we cannot have both, but that is okay because Jesus is infinitely better we don't want the world in him. We want Jesus. So should we believe Jesus or should we believe the pastor who spends more time speaking and preaching about the worldly possessions and idols that we could be blessed with and have now if we call upon Christ than the blessing that is Christ himself? We are to desire Jesus. All right, Jesus teaches that you cannot be committed to him and the world. To have two masters, to use God as a sort of step stool to reach the many idols upon our shelves. That is what to look out for here. Right? What has plagued many people who profess to be Christians, who profess to teach a way to the kingdom of God, is the blatant disregard of that very statement of God. To follow Jesus, to take the narrow gate, to enter the kingdom of God, is to step into his kingdom where his decrees stand. Now, they are good decrees, and we may not originally see them as such, but if we are in Christ, we will come to. So, if you guys will turn with me, let's go to 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. You can open if you want to, otherwise I'll just go through it quick here. Um, Peter's address here, he's talking to believers. He refers to those that are saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And then verse 22, regarding the calling for believers to be holy, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. All right, so we cannot step into God's kingdom and expect to be able to widen his narrow road, right? We are called to sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ, for sprinkling with his blood and having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, right? We see that God desires that those are in him, those that desire to take the narrow road, will not just walk in salvation, but would walk in sanctification, and that they would be inseparable. In being saved, we are to be set apart. And how do we do so, right? How do we, on this narrow road of persecution, of hardships, actually walk in sanctification, walk in Christ? 
How do we see Christ as not only sufficient, but so much better? Right? Being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus is could be covered in his pure, perfect blood before a heavenly Father. We have sinned against him and in our own standing are condemned for our sins. That is the wide road if we remain on it. For those of us sprinkled in Christ, that we are to be judged by God by the pure blood of his holy son, Jesus. That blood does not leave us unchanged. That blood does not leave us to continue on in sin. Although we struggle and battle sin, it is just that, a battle. To see their inclination is, in fact, for that easy path. We have desires that lead to the world and with it destruction. But we also see that God corrects his children and directs us towards life. To see that an act upon this is repentance, right? We want to turn from our sins, our sinful desires, and turn towards God. To see that which we desire is wrong and destructive and that God is actually trying to guide us towards what is so much better. We have faith. We repent of our sins. We pursue Christ through the Holy Spirit of God that is in each and every believer. In being made set apart to be sanctified, we are giving the indwelling of the equally important and equally God member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? He completely reshapes and resizes our heart and our soul that we may actually be shrunk down, that we may be carved to fit through this narrow gate. For if not for him, then we would not. To follow Christ on this narrow gate, to counterculture, to counter the world, to see sin, that is what the Holy Spirit helps us do, right? To see that we desire ungodly lust, that we have ungodly idols, that we have ungodly pursuits and struggles and things that we must not champion and declare as something to be celebrated if we make ourselves children of God, right? If we are to come to know God, we are to not try to make our own decrees in what is his kingdom, but instead see that these are sins that must be repented of, that God our Father has told us that we can have and pursue better in Christ and the holiness that he desires for his church. To walk unrepentant of sin, to walk believing Jesus cares not for our sanctification, is to not walk in Jesus and to take the wide gate and the easy road that has been promised to lead to hell and destruction. There is no crown waiting for those who will not take up their cross. If you profess to be a Christian and have been walking unrepentant, if you are not a Christian and have been walking the wide and easy road of other religions, of no religion, of any lifestyle that does not reflect acknowledging Jesus Christ and his gospel, then do you actually have hope? Is there no hope? To continue this way would be yes, right? To find hope on that road would not only be foundationless, it would be foolish and fake as well. But the impossible is possible through Jesus, right? The fact that there exists a narrow gate at all is a testament to the fact that Jesus Christ desires us to be saved. Not that the wide path would change, but those that are on it may, right? The narrow road will not widen, but God desires that those on the wide path would in fact come to him. Paul tells us how we are all guilty and have fallen short of the glory of God. And in the beginning, I told you about my journey and how for the first 18 to 19 years of my life, I walked the wide and easy road. Numerous people in this room as well. I was trying to think of names to put down, but there's honestly too many that I'm familiar with, and it's, it's not even a portion of this room that is accurate, have done so as well, right? They have turned from this wide road, this road that leads to destruction, and have given their lives to Jesus and found greater hope, greater joy, salvation, and a comfort in this as well. To die is to be beyond changing our faith. We cannot begin to trust in Jesus or replace 
and renew our trust in him and his promises if we are dead. But today is not too late. The grace of Jesus is not retractable. He and his promises are ever faithful, even though we will not be. Right? To turn and to follow Jesus Christ, to truly follow him, is to take up the reason for which he went to the cross of Calvary as he did. He did not take up the cross as some social statement to protest the cruelty of crucifixion, but he took up the cross to be able to extend grace to all who would take it, to establish himself on the throne, right? To pay for the sins of those who would repent and believe in him, in his established kingdom, and his resurrection. So, in the Holy Spirit, we are empowered if we are believers. We are brought to bring good fruit and faithful endurance to the hard times of the narrow road that are promised. But we are promised that there is joy at the end of it, that there is hope, that there is an eternity in heaven with our good Father who loves us and takes care of us. I ask you, where do you stand tonight? Do you feel unstable knowing now that you might actually be not on the narrow road? Do you see that you are in fact on the wide road with the many? Will you act upon what you're feeling in the weight of your sin now? Will you receive grace? Remember this for the times in which you do struggle, Christian. As Jesus began his ministry, I just wish to repeat now, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Jesus. Be held in the faith and confidence of a Christian to make it through the narrow road. It is not anchored in the hands of us and our works, but in Christ and his faithfulness to us. For he has shown that not only is he the way but the joy of the destination itself. He is what we are looking forward to at the end of this narrow road. He will be with us in heaven someday to come. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we come to you tonight seeing the reality of life in this world, that there are two eternities, that we have souls that will be in one place or another. God, I ask that we would all be with you, that we would see you as glorious, as beautiful, as faithful, as Father, that we, we may walk a life of sanctification and salvation and be assured through your Holy Spirit that we are loved, that we are cared for, that we are insured and entrusted with the greatest truth of all, that you, Jesus, have died for our sins, that you have established yourself as King and that you are reigning sovereignly on your throne right now, God. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray.